A desperate bid for survival as fire closed in on an Oregon mountain town. This was a headline in the New York Times back in September as wildfires swept across the west coast of the United States of America. A small mountain town of Salem in Oregon was surrounded by smoke and flames. 60 mile per hour winds were sweeping fire towards the town. A lot of the town inhabitants had managed to evacuate, but there were still people left in that town, surrounded, trapped. There were elderly people, tourists, uh, families, children barefoot in their pajamas. Those firefighters left in the town led the people to a half-drained reservoir. As the fire came towards them, the firefighters began to realize they were in real danger. Some had managed to get messages of love back to loved ones. They were given the people at the reservoir numbers, a preference in order for them to go on a helicopter dispatched by the National Guard. But then, over the radio, the message came. The helicopters couldn't land. No one was coming for their rescue. Can you imagine that? Have you ever felt fear like that? That kind of dread of impending doom? were completely helpless, nothing you can do in that situation. Well, maybe you've not been in that exact situation, but I think it's fair to say that the year 2020 has been a year of fear. It's been a, a year like no other year we've experienced. I mean, we're living through, it's definitely my first global pandemic. There's that risk of catching the dreaded virus, but there's more, isn't it? It's, it's our freedoms that are being taken away from us in order to fight it. It's the collapse of the economy. People anxious and worried about what's going to happen to their jobs, to their homes, to their pensions. There's racial injustice that's being highlighted across the world. There's political unrest if you look in countries like Lebanon and uh, Belarus. What is going on? And how on earth are you meant to pray? in times like this, when you feel anxious, when you feel afraid. How do you pray? Isn't God meant to be good? Isn't he meant to be all powerful? How can I trust him when I feel like the world is in such a mess? How can I trust him when I feel so afraid and anxious? Do we get hit by the car or do we jump out of the way? That fear can actually be quite healthy. It can drive us to safety. But then there's anxiety, isn't it? Harder to find. It's that drip, drip, drip. That nagging feeling in the back of our head. It's difficult to pinpoint what it is. It chips away at our self-worth, our identity. It stops us sleeping at night. When you experience both fear and anxiety, it can just be awful. 
It can be horrible. So such a bad experience. Well, this morning, we are going to look at the Psalms. We're going to look at a very famous man called David, a man who felt both fear and anxiety and how he took that to God. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 3 and we're going to follow his prayer. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So the first thing David does is he identifies the source of his fear. Well, the first source is, it's really clear. If you look down at Psalm 3, he says it three times. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me. There are many people come in for David. In fact, there's 12,000 men come in to kill him. That's something to be afraid of, isn't it? I've never had 12,000 men come in to kill me. And if I have, they've not been very successful. But it's an awful thing to fear. I can't even imagine what I must feel like. 12,000 men come in to kill him. In fact, they're being led by David's son, Absalom. He's leading a military coup against his dad. And he's not going to be a good king. And David just doesn't know what's going to happen. But it's interesting here that it's not just that fear of 12,000 men that is nagging at David. If you look down, it's that anxiety, that drip, drip, drip. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver me. You see, this isn't a physical attack on David. This is an attack on his very identity. It's not even saying that God doesn't exist. They're saying God doesn't exist for David. And let's put a bit of context on the bones. David was such a good king. He was God's chosen king. He was a good man, a good father, a good husband. But those gifts that he had to serve his people, he ended up using them to serve himself. He saw another man's wife and the lust got too much for him. He did an awful thing. He took her as his own. Because he was king, well, he could have the husband bumped off, couldn't he? And what, what does this even say about his own wife? And his kids inevitably followed the same immoral pattern as their dad. His legacy absolutely ruined. This is what David has done. And this is why there's now a military coup being led against him. This is why he can start believing the self-doubt. He can start believing what people are saying about him. Maybe God has given up on him. But it's interesting what David does here is he identifies the source of that fear. 
But then he looks at who God is. He looks at God's character. And he applies that to the situation he finds himself in. Well, let's take a look at what it is about God's character that can give David peace and rest whilst he's suffering from fear and anxiety. Okay, well, the first thing that David identifies about God is that God is his shield. Now, what do we think of when it comes to shields? We probably think of Roman or medieval soldiers going into battle with their big battle shields. Or maybe if you look at the news today, you might see videos and pictures of police with their big riot shields going into riots. But what does a shield mean? What does it tell us? Well, it doesn't tell us that something is safe. In fact, if you've got a shield, it's normally because you are going into a super dangerous situation. You know, a soldier doesn't go into battle thinking this shield means it's safe. They go in with the shield because they know the exact opposite is true. And we know looking at David's situation that he is not safe. In fact, he is far from safe. So he looks at God and he knows that God is a shield, not on his arm, but all around him. But what's the point? It doesn't make David safe. And we know his situation isn't safe. So what does this shield actually do? Well, there's two points, isn't it? The first is God is with us the whole time. Sometimes we have this wrong assumption when we are going through suffering, when we're experiencing fear and anxiety. We can come to the assumption that God has abandoned us. And it would be easy for David to think that God had abandoned him. Isn't that what he's anxious about? But no, God is with us just because we're going through the bad times. The Bible doesn't promise us a rosy good life. But the Bible does promise us that God will walk with us through those times. The fact that we're going through times of fear and anxiety is not proof that God doesn't exist. But God is with us. He's with David. But the shield has another impact. The shield is there to protect something else. Let's take a look at what that something else is. So that shield is there to protect the glory that God gives us. Now what does glory mean? We kind of understand what glory means. We use it in everyday language, but we don't fully understand it. In the Bible language, it literally means weight. But we probably better understand it as our self-worth, our value, our identity, our significance. That's how we can understand what glory is. For David, he had placed so much of his self-worth, his identity, his significance in things. Good things, but things that could fade, ruin, be taken away, be messed up. Well, look at the example of David. We've already looked at what he's done. He was a king, the golden boy of Israel. But he's messed it up. He's no longer that good king. He's no longer that moral man. He's not a good husband. He's a man who has 
committed adultery on his wife. He is a man who has orchestrated murder. He is a man who has just seen another woman as his property, something to be taken. He's left an awful legacy for his children to follow in this immoral conduct. I mean, you just have to look at how his kids have behaved. One of his sons has raped one of his daughters. Now, the son who is raised up to, to kill David has also killed David's other son. It's all an absolute mess. And this is David's own making. We've got to remember that. David isn't a victim here. David has messed up massively. And now everything's stripped back when there's nothing left. He realises all of that self-worth, all of that identity is placed in things that could never hold. It could never be his identity without crushing him. But now David writes in this psalm, as he prays, he says that God is his glory. God is the one who holds his head up high. His confidence in his identity now comes in the fact that God attributes him with value. God says you are valuable. God says your identity is secure in me. Do you see that shield? That shield is there to protect that thing. The identity, our glory, our significance, our self-worth that God gives to us. And if God gives it to us, we can't mess it up. We can't ruin it. It's safe in his hands. He defends it. He looks after it. But there's an elephant in the room, isn't it? How can David, who has messed up so badly, have any confidence that God is a shield and gives him value and self-worth? Well, let's look at the final thing he prays about. Well, David calls out to God. And amazingly, God calls back. And we might feel a bit angry about this when we know what it is that David has done. How is that even possible? Well, it's all about where David calls out to. You've got to remember this is back in the Old Testament. God uh, dwells with his people. He walks amongst them. In fact, he dwells in this tent on top of a hill called a tabernacle. Now, we don't need to understand fully what that means. But it's the place where man, women can go to God. And in that place, what happens? Well, it might be like a scene in a horror film for us in 2020, but it's where you would take your goats, your sheep, your cows, and they would be sacrificed. And the purpose of this is that God knows that his people can't live up to his expectation. So the way they live in relationship with God, the way they live in relationship with each other, is messed up. So that is put on the animal. Their badness is substituted onto the animal so that in, in the eyes of God, they're innocent. In the eyes of God, they are good. He has made a way to deal with the spectacular ways that his people will mess up. And David knows this. David recalls back to this. And because of this, he can have absolute confidence. He knows he's not relying on the fact that he can be a good king. In fact, it's taken all of that stuff to be stripped back to him to realise how amazing God's grace is. That God would give a way for people like David to be able to call out to him in confidence. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if that was relevant to us in 2020? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if we could have that same confidence? Well, thankfully, we don't have to take our goats and our sheep to church on a Sunday morning and have them killed for our righteousness. No, we can have confidence because of Jesus, the ultimate substitute. In fact, we have more confidence because of Jesus. We can look at him and know that we have glory. We have self-worth. We have an identity entrenched in God, protected by God. And we can't mess this up. We can't ruin it. Isn't this good news this morning? That confidence that David had, we can have even more confidence that God is with us through the bad times. He's walking with us and he gives us our value. So you see, God, no, stop. Do you see that David identified his fear, his anxiety, and then he looked at who God was. He looked at God's character, God's identity, and he applied it to his own life. Because of that, by going through that, those steps, David was able to sleep. He was able to celebrate the fact that it is the, it is God who gives him life. It is God who keeps him going. And those bad things, they haven't gone away. He hasn't forgotten about them. The threat is still very real. But when he puts everything into perspective, when he puts God in the picture, when he realizes those things he's feeling anxious about, the things that worry him, they pale into insignificance when compared to the goodness and the great things that God gives to him. Now that's amazing. Putting that into practice is very different. Knowing it is one thing in theory. We all know it in theory, but putting it into practice. But the Bible has so many examples of this, of people in massive amounts of danger, being able to trust God and find peace, to be able to sleep. This is real. If we really believe this, if we turn to God and trust in him, we can find that peace. But as I said, the real threat of danger hasn't gone away. And it's not that David is shoving his emotions deep down and forgetting they even exist. No, David's emotions are raw. You just have to look at the end of the psalm that David wants God to smash the teeth in of his enemies. And that's uncomfortable. We, we don't like that language. But he's got 12,000 men coming to kill him and he wants justice. He knows God is a God of justice and that's what David wants. He wants that fear to be taken away from him. So there is this balance, isn't it, in trusting in God but wanting justice to prevail. The two are not alien to each other. They go hand in hand. Now for us, what is it that we misplace our glory in? What are the things that we trust in? They're probably good things. They'll probably be things like family, our homes, our careers. It might be the way we look in society, our standing in our local community. It might be in our friendships. And they're all good things. But once we start putting our identity in those things, when we take our entire self-worth from those things, they're always 
going to let us down. They cannot live up to our expectations. And what if we mess stuff up? Our self-worth needs to come from God. That needs to be the first place we go. It might not take our fears and anxieties away, but we need to put ourselves in the perspective of God gives us glory. Can you be confident this morning that as you call up to God, that he comes back to you?